All right, welcome to the conversation on the TYT network. Now we're gonna talk to someone you might recognize, David Hogg. He's a activist and obviously Parkland shooting survivor, founder of March for Our Lives and a board member, author of Never Again, A New Generation Draws the Line. And he's now in a new movie called Us Kids. That's a documentary about Parkland. David, welcome to TYT. Thanks for having me on. No problem, David. I know you and Marjorie Taylor Greene have got a conflict going on now, and it relates to guns. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about all the things that you're up to. But I actually want to show a trailer of Us Kids, the documentary that you're in, first because it's really compelling, and and I want to talk about that as well. So let's watch the trailer. Before all of this, we were normal ass kids doing normal ass things. This is my post-apocalyptic cooking show. Sometimes life takes you in a different direction and you gotta go. Just six minutes and 20 seconds, 17 hearts stopped beating. 18-year-old senior Sam Fuentes was shot in both legs. I was thinking about how were we gonna get out? If he was gonna come back, was I going to die? And I saw Emma on TV and I remember just like looking up to her and thinking, wow, I can do that. From South Florida to the south side of Chicago, these two groups are vowing to work together on the gun issue. That's all we ever wanted in the first place was to be listened to. It's always the same shit. So what if we got to change it this time? Can you tell me right now that you will not accept a single donation from the NRA? And then went down. A nationwide walkout inspired by Parkland, Florida. It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to actually make it happen. So David, uh, that last line about making it happen. Um, well, that's the hard part, right? And so you guys uh, did something that uh, nobody else has done, which is to actually be honest about this issue and challenge Folks, we had Cameron on the show last week and, and Samantha too. And that moment where the movie's right to point out when he went off script and asked about the donations, that that was a seminal moment. Um, but unfortunately, politicians are who they are and the media is who they are. And so far, there's been almost no action taken. So I'm curious what you think about the lessons learned in starting the movement that you guys did that had such a big impact um, in terms of people recognizing the issue, and then what's happened since? Yeah, I think the biggest lessons that we've learned is the importance of realizing that social movements are not like campaigns, unfortunately. They don't have a set end date, they don't have you know, an election day. They're, they're much more akin to not even a marathon, I found, but much more like an ultra marathon where we're told to go from you know, we started one place like Parkland, and we're told to go to a place like DC, but we have no map of how to get there, so we really have to pace ourselves because we're certainly going to go down a number of you know wrong roads and stuff on our way there. But um, yeah, I think that's the biggest lesson that we've learned in this time period is the importance of taking care of ourselves and realizing that this this really is a marathon and not a sprint. Um, yeah. Yeah. So David, in the beginning, you guys had a lot of success because you didn't listen to the rules. Um, and um, and I think that made a big difference. So whether it was saying, hey, I, I don't care what you think, we're gonna start an organization and we're gonna speak out. I don't care what you say about thoughts and prayers. No, we need to actually do something about this. I don't care what you tell me about how politicians are honest. No, they take money from the NRA and they do what they're told. And that made a giant difference. So, but I, you know, Cameron uh, last week was saying, but now you know Biden's in charge, and and so now it's harder, uh, ironically, because uh, there's no boogeyman, and so 
Have you run into resistance from allies like, hey guys, don't push so hard, now's not the time, etc.? Yeah, I think we hear that all the time, but it's something that we we use our youthfulness to our advantage in because we, you know, if anybody has credibility to speak on this issue, it's the young people that you know are the most the people that are most impacted by it and are going to you know be around the longest and have the the best chance of doing something about it, which are the people that have the most years left. Um, and I think that there certainly have been some challenges with allies because it's about you know. Um, you know, you know, he was right in that there is no boogeyman in many senses. But similarly, I think it's it's more challenging because we've realized through this work that although we have to address the NRA, obviously, and gun laws, the issue of gun violence is a very multifaceted one that must be addressed in a lot from a lens of um, not only how does somebody get a gun, but why does why do so many young people, especially in the United States, feel the need to pick up a gun in the first place? And that brings in conversations around systemic inequality, poverty, you know, uh, racial injustice, environmental injustice, and all these different uh, forms of uh, purposeful injustice that have been built into our country's structure, and our government structure, and our policies um, that also need to be addressed. So I think, although you may not see March for Our Lives as much on TV anymore, for example, I think it's important to realize that a lot of the work that we are doing is some of the most important, I would argue even more important than uh, a march. But it doesn't get, you know, it's not big and flashy. It doesn't get on TV. And it's worked like mutual aid, you know, working with communities on the ground that are the most impacted by gun violence and asking the organizations that work in those communities how we can assist them and not saying this is what we're going to do for you, as is often, you know, the case in the nonprofit industrial complex, but asking them how can we be supportive of you? How can we be allies, you know, to you and coming to them humbly asking that? But unfortunately, you know, that doesn't necessarily get on TV very much when we're talking about the fact that. Mental health does need to be talked about, but in a way where it's not stigmatizing it, but talks about the fact that two thirds of gun deaths are suicides. It's not something super sexy that gets on TV. You know, it's uh, it's difficult because the most important work isn't the stuff that gets on TV. Yeah. So, uh, in terms of uh, federal uh, legislation, any hope? I mean, I don't see any hope. I'm just curious what you see. Or, or maybe even more to the point, how, how in the world? Because you're, you're, you know, knee deep in it. You do, the, you're doing this all the time. How do we break through and have any prayer of being able to pass federal background checks? You know, getting rid of um, uh, AK-47s and AR-15s and all these crazy uh, weapons in our streets? Because right now it looks like the Democrats have largely given up enough. Of course, the Republicans love it. Well, I think ultimately it also comes down to the fact that we have the filibuster, which enables our elected officials to, um, you know, subvert the majority will of the American people who want to protect their kids and protect everyday Americans and not weapons like an AR-15. And I think ultimately, you know, aside from, although there are certainly challenges with our allies that claim to be on our own side that don't want things to go too far, which I think is absurd and ridiculous. Because um, I, I think that there's no way that we could ever go too far until nobody's dying from gun violence in this country. Um, I think even more so than those ally, you know, those false allies, um, we have to challenge the filibuster and, and, in my opinion, abolish it so that we can actually, you know, pass laws that the majority of American people support that protect people and not guns. Uh, I will say that I think there have been some some successes. 
um, even if small, even in Republican-led states with things like extremist protection orders that are basically restraining orders for guns, that use due process and right to counsel to remove guns from people that are a danger to themselves and others. Um, that have been passed in, in several Republican states, including Florida. Uh, we've also seen a significant increase um, in funding for the CDC and NIH to do gun violence research, which previously there had basically been illegal for them to study the effectiveness of state gun laws in comparison to states with you know weaker, stronger gun laws. And uh, you know those are small things, but you know in addition, we've also seen a massive increase in uh, violence intervention programs that are community-led, not based in policing, but are focused on using restorative justice and a public health-based approach to reducing violence that I think are actually going to have uh, way more impact, in my opinion, or just as much impact as something like universal background checks. Yeah, in the past, the filibuster was historically used uh, to prevent civil rights legislation. Uh, now it's expanded to preventing civil rights legislation and anything the Chamber of Commerce doesn't want to pass. So what a wonderful part of democracy. It's totally made up, It's it's a, has a terrible, hateful past. And it's only used to help people like Joe Manchin and the entire Republican Party as well, and Chris Sinema, another Democrat, to hide their corporate donors and hide their shame for what they would actually vote for without the filibuster. All right, now, speaking of shameful people in Congress, you had a suggestion for Marjorie Taylor Greene recently. What, limit her access to guns? Tell me more about that. Why and what do you mean? I mean, I you know I think it's pretty obvious. Somebody that's chasing Congress, you know, members, and even you know I was just 18 years old at the time, like that, you know, saying I have, you know, basically implying that they were ready to shoot me um, or shoot other people when they were talking about how they have a concealed weapon and things like that. Um, I don't think anybody like that should necessarily have a gun. Now, realistically, do I think anything's going to happen? No, because unfortunately, I think we wait for really bad stuff to happen until we're, you know, legislators get the courage to act. Unfortunately, a lot of the time. Um, but you know, I don't think somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is clearly unstable, should have access to a weapon like an AR-15 or any weapon. Period. In my opinion, you know, they are danger to them, you know, likely to themselves, but for sure to others, as we've seen uh, with the recent video that came out about AOC um, and the videos that have come out of various other people and Congress members as well. So, you know, I don't. Unfortunately, there's a long history of gun violence taking place on the on the floor, you know, the House and Senate floor. Um, I don't want to see that history repeat itself when we have the chance to prevent it right now. Um, and I, I, I seriously just think that you know something needs to be done. So David, uh, got a minute left, but you mentioned what she said about you when you were 18. For people might not know, what, what was that? Well, I mean, she was talking about when uh, there was a video that came out of her following me, um, along with several of my colleagues when we were lobbying in Congress demanding how Asking how we got meetings, asking you know all these other things, uh, and basically saying you're you're a crisis actor, which implies that you know I'm a I'm some kind of you know paid something or other, um, just a ridiculous conspiracy theory. It's often peddled about uh, children, you know, young people and people in general that go through mass shootings. Um, you know, basically pursuing us and harassing us, uh, saying that she had a weapon and all this other thing. And my response to it was simply not to uh, react and try to you know, as my father who was a is now a retired FBI agent taught me growing up, you know, to de-escalate the situation, um, which was all I was focused on was the safety of my the staff and colleagues that were around me. Look, it's hard to beat Jewish space lasers for insane conspiracy theory, but calling you guys crisis actors and and threatening you with weapons after you survived a massacre in your high school, that might beat it. 
That might beat it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's most concerning about it ultimately too is she is an elected congresswoman. Think about the credibility that she is giving those conspiracy theories and the people, the very real threats that come into people like me, that come to people like AOC, that come to people, you know, different Congress members and activists. She is giving them credibility and basically saying, yes, these things are real. That X person is a crisis actor, or you know, this person is a serious threat and is trying to, you know, do something. And as we saw on January 6th, these conspiracy theories, especially when they're supported by elected officials, do have deadly consequences. And we need Marjorie Taylor Greene to stop peddling these conspiracy theories before someone gets killed. All right, David Hogg, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody, find a way to help this movement, uh, whether it's March for Our Lives or, or any other organization that's working. I just make it March for Our Lives. Uh, because they're more active, they're more aggressive. A lot of the older groups get you know, stuck in the mud a lot of times. And check out the movie Us Kids, it's really powerful and follows their story in a, in a very compelling way and it just came out. Uh, so David, thank you again, brother, we appreciate it. Thank you, I appreciate it. All right, back on the conversation. A great guest for you guys. Now, Diallo Brooks is a senior director for field mobilization at People for the American Way. Diallo, welcome to the conversation. Oh, thanks for having me on. No problem. So now we're going to talk about Kristen Clark. She is up for leading the civil rights division in the Justice Department, and she has run into significant Republican opposition. So first, can you tell us about Kristen? Well, first of all, Kristen has a tremendous civil rights record. She's been a part of the civil rights community for a very long time and has been a very important advocate for civil rights and social justice for a very long time. And so it's an exciting time to see her be nominated for this particular position. We think she'll be amazing. We know her work. Uh, from the past, but also like one uh, really significant case is how she she really drilled down and worked hard in in Maryland uh, to help them uh, change their hate crime laws to make it uh, more uh, more impactful uh, in in order to be able to prosecute around hate crimes. And uh, there was a specific case, uh, Richard Clark the third, who was who was murdered by uh, a white supremacist, um, and she utilized that case and helped the family uh, to move that case and have hate crimes charged um, and to, to push for some sort of justice uh, in that particular case in Maryland. Uh, so now I see why Republicans are opposed to her. Um, so, but what's their excuse? So she, she actually prosecutes hate crimes, she actually wants to do civil rights. That's why she's uh, arguably perfect for the position. So, um, but they usually come up with something invented. So what, what, what have they invented this time? I mean, they've they, they've really been reaching. They've tried to say that she was anti-Semitic. Uh, that's not true. Um, they tried to blame uh, uh, her on being anti-police um, in uh, actually a report that was actually forwarded that wasn't hers. <laughs> um, and so they're just making up uh, a lot of uh, excuses uh, to not confirm her because really what they want. They don't want to see somebody that's going to step into that 
that very critical role at the Department of Justice that will work really, really hard for the people of this country to move forward civil rights and to make sure that the Justice Department prosecutes civil rights cases that come before it. And so it's important that we get her confirmed, but at the same time for them, they don't wanna see that office become an effective office, an effective tool for justice. Okay, so we just had a tie vote on her and I wanna ask how you guys are gonna move on past that tie vote and how much trouble that is. But I, I, I just wanna be clear with the audience. So the Republicans say she might be anti-Semitic. Let me give you a group of organizations that have backed her. The National Council of Jewish Women, the Anti-Defamation League, Union of Reform Judaism, and 79 different local, state, and national Jewish organizations. So obviously not remotely true. Uh, but that's never stopped Republicans before. And leading the charges, Mike Lee and Ted Cruz. So the sense of the veracity of these charges. And they had one other thing though, Diallo. They said she once wrote an editorial saying that um, uh, police should be reformed. Wow, Ooh, I didn't know she was that radical. Um, so isn't the Civil Rights Division to some degree supposed to be concerned about police reform? Yeah, I mean, they're supposed to be concerned about police reform. They're supposed to be concerned about voting rights. Some of the critical issues of protecting citizens in this country. And so, you know, we want to see a civil rights department in the Justice Department be effective. And she's somebody who could lead that department towards being effective. And so, what we want to see is Leader Schumer. In the Senate to to bring a discharge petition to the floor to pull the nomination out of committee to consider to be considered by the the full Senate. We think she's the right person for the job. We are really fighting really hard to make sure that women of color are not trampled upon by these conservatives in the legislature. The GOP has kind of rallied around their super right wing conservatism, and we want to make sure that. The Justice Department is effective. She is a brilliant lawyer. She's a brilliant advocate for justice, and she needs to be confirmed, and she should be confirmed. There's no reason why she shouldn't be. Yeah, no, I knew about her nomination well before this, and and it, her credentials looked excellent, and I, and I supported it. But the more the Republicans opposed her, the more I became in favor of her because. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The dynamic, honestly, is this is the civil rights division of the Justice Department. So whoever is more qualified and more likely to do a good job, they will be more opposed to, not less opposed to. They don't want the civil rights division to function in the Justice Department. So if they're fighting her tooth and nail, that means they think she's definitely the right candidate and they're worried. So now let's talk through a little bit more what happens in the tie in committee. All the Republicans vote no, it's 11-11, and did any Democrats vote no? No, so what needs to happen is we it was a vote along party lines, deadlocked. And so what we need is the majority leader, Chuck Schumer, to actually file a discharge petition. And that would move 
the vote to the floor or pull the nominee to the floor out of the committee. So the full Senate can actually have a vote to, to consider her nomination. And so that's what we hope is the next step. That should be the next step to move this process forward. We know that Republicans are lining up together and locking arms together to, to block any nominee that's put through and it's very troublesome to see the level of the level of pushback against women of color, particularly as they are going through the nominations process. She's definitely qualified to do the job. They know that and that's why they're against her. She'd be the first woman of color to lead the civil rights division, right? Correct. Yeah, and so Diallo, um, now you got me a little worried. Is there any reason why Chuck Schumer wouldn't bring it to the full Senate floor? Is that in, is that still in question? I'm trying to figure out because you never know with Democrats. Yeah, you never know, but but we have confidence that that Leader Schumer will will do the right thing and and move move it forward. It's in his best interest to do that. I think he understands where we are in this process. He under also understands the the obstruction that the other side is pushing forward. All of us are reaching out. To make sure that he understands that we support moving her forward, we accept nothing less than seeing her move forward, and we have confidence that she will move forward, and and the Senate will vote to confirm her. She's the right person for the job. She's done this work. She knows the work, and and she understands what it takes to to lead that particular office of the Justice Department. Look, I'm gonna keep it real here because that's what I do. I I'm not a big fan of Neera Tandon. But even for near attendant, I was like, you can't let the Republicans decide who your cabinet is or who your right. important government officials are. So if the like they folks had real reasons to oppose near attendant, but Republicans didn't have him, right? Like Republicans had the same fake reasons, progressives had real reasons, etc. But I would have fought even on that ground, let alone Kristen Clark. They can't let Republicans veto. A woman of color for the civil rights division that has this good a record. They just can't let that stand. So, Diela, how can people help? Can can people, you know, participate somehow to push this forward? Yeah, folks can definitely participate. One is to call your senators and make sure that the senators know that it's really, really important to move her nomination forward. People for the American Way has been involved in her fight, our fight campaign, which is really pushing forward these women of color nominees. We did an incredible video on Kristen Clark that really kind of tells her story. So if folks continue to share that video, which you can find on our website. But like I said, it's really to call in to the Senate, let them know that she is the person that we want to see leading the Civil Rights Division of the Justice Department. That you know they need to move forward on this. Call Leader Schumer, encourage him to move forward on this, and you know understand that there's a large community that are working together to make sure that this nomination moves forward. And so you know join that echo chamber, tweet, call, you know do whatever it takes to to help move this forward. Yeah, people for the American ways have been great on Kristen Clark and all these great nominees. So less than a minute left, real quick. If she's in the civil rights division, what are some things that she can actually get done that people can be excited about? 
Well, one of the key things is we're looking at a crisis around policing in this country. And so we really need to reimagine public safety and we need to also have a justice department that's willing to step up around policing issues and hold police accountable for their misconduct and mistreatment of communities. Secondly, we're also in a crisis around voting rights in this country. And so having her front and center will be very critical in moving forward to protect our voting rights as a country. And so, you know, having her on the scene for those, just those two particular fights is really critical for making sure that our government actually functions the way it's supposed to function as to protect the people. Our civil rights department is there to make sure that people's civil rights are not violated. And when they are, they're there to hold folks accountable. And she's the type of person that will make sure that that happens. All right, Diallo Brooks from People for the American Way. Uh, thank you for joining us, appreciate it. Thank you for having me.